Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief oh, my name is Jack McLean. I'm the host tonight and, and our guest is Dylan We're dropping Shield. inspiring and educational episode every Monday. Football, if you like the show, the please follow us on your favourite podcast He app. attended Corfield Grammar School, graduated in 2010 and played his juniors at Danong Stingrays in the TAC Cup. He has played a total of 180... AFL games, 135 with GWS Giants and 45 of the football club. Before we start tonight's episode, our mission here at Prepare Like a Pro is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and subscribing to the podcast. Welcome, Dylan. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Thanks for having me, Jack. I really like that. Uh... The intro video there just makes me think, imagine if uh, these sort of uh, resources were available to, to my generation when we were growing up, would have, um, would have been twice the player that, uh, that I am today. Yeah, it's amazing the technology, isn't it, that we can just share information live and looking at where people are streaming in. We've got different people on YouTube, Facebook, a couple on LinkedIn, um, all just watching it from their home, which when there's not much else to do. This is a, a bit of good entertainment, mate, share your story. So I'm super yeah. excited. Yeah, yeah, hopefully a bit of bit of positivity to be spread in the uh, social media game uh, tonight instead of what's sort of been going on on Twitter and the uh, commentary around things in Melbourne at the moment. Absolutely, we're we're cleaning out the garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Bringing down the ratings too, (laughs) Uh, from an from an MA to down to a PG level, or or maybe M15. We'll see how we go. But um, take us back to the beginning of your career, mate. Uh, At what age did you start playing your footy, and where did you play your junior footy? Oh yeah, I can't even remember what the uh, when the passion for the game uh, footy came to me. I, you know, from as early as I can remember, I was kicking a footy and um, you know menacing uh, the family with my obsession with uh, kicking the footy around the house and trying to kick my McDonald's football through the through the door frames as as goals. And um, yeah. you know, I think pretty early on the uh, the old man thought I'd better get me into some uh, comp- competitive footy and started with Oz kick. Uh, like most kids do through the programs um, these days. And then I began playing my junior football career at uh, my local football club at Edith Val Aspendale Junior Football Club down in the, um, on the base side there. Um, and I played, um, played there till the age of about 16. Um, and then as you got to around that age, you start to uh, get noticed by um, the development um, channel. So I was part of the Dandenong Stingrays um zoning uh, in the TAC Cup and uh, played a season there uh, before uh, getting drafted um, as a concession pick to Team GWS uh, they were called at the time before they were called the Giants um, and during that during that time I, I experienced um you know some state level footy for the schoolboys Victorian team and played um you know school football uh, while I attended St Bede's men's zone for four years and then my last two years of school were at Caulfield Grammar in the APS competition. Yeah, awesome. And like in terms of your footy development, um, where did you find, like where were your main influences and sort of mentors early days? Oh, certainly my, um, my parents, um, you know, and, and you know, most boys will, will look to their, their dad for, you know, uh, development and coaching um, when it comes to, you know, football, I found. So, yeah, my, my dad was a huge influence and still is today. Um, and then also had just you know junior football coaches along the way that you mostly were just my mates' dads as well, uh, which were I was, thought I was really really lucky looking back at it now how much like the group of guys that I played just local foot with foot footy with how we lucked into some you know just some really good people that were you know coaching us footy but they were just you know being good dads and teaching us to be good kids. Um, yep. So yeah, they taught me some things about footy that. Um, you know, served me really, really well, and uh, but they taught me to be a good person as well. Um, and then, you know, as I got a little bit older, you start to get exposed to more professional uh, coaching and you know things that are going to take you to that next level. And you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful for my time at Caulfield Grammar under Greg Meredith, who was my coach there for two years. And then when I ended up in uh, Greater Western Sydney, um, I uh, was coached under uh, Mark Williams, who is um, you know, my future father-in-law, uh, who's been probably my uh-huh. biggest, yeah, yeah, probably my biggest influence on my career, um, you know, since the age of 18 onwards. So, 
um, been really, really lucky to you know, be you know, surrounded by some really impressive uh, figures in, in football. Yep. And going back to your, your junior career, at, at what age did you discover that you had a talent for the game and that it was something that you wanted to work on and pursue towards the AFL being a professional footballer? Yeah, uh, well, you know, being a naive uh, Melbourne kid, I um, and if you ask your auntie who uh, who taught me in, in primary school, um, I would have yep. said I was playing, I would have said I was playing AFL from the age of four or five, and yep. um, and meant it, uh, and I ne- didn't have any any backup plan for for a while there, and then I started to understand that um, you know, that it would probably probably had to respect uh. The uh, conversation a little bit more after my dad sort of said, "Tone it down a little bit, Dylan. You might need to come up with a plan B here." Um, but then, so then, uh, probably probably up until the age of fifteen, I think I made the uh, the All Australian team as a fifteen year old in the schoolboy competition, and it was around about that age that I thought that um, you know I'm sort of I'm on track here to to you know to getting drafted, and yeah, that it, it started to become a pretty pretty big focus in my life um, along with school at that time. Yeah, and. Um- what did that change for you when you started to make that shift towards striving towards the AFL? Um, like, did you change your your lifestyle? Did you change your training intensity, or did you sort of just keep doing what you're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, you only know what you know at the time, and and that it just meant just training harder um, and still enjoying it. I just wanted to play good footy and have a good time and just be the best player I could be at every training session and and every game I played. And you know, it was a pretty simple formula and. You know, at times I think um, you know we can overcomplicate the game and at the highest level, and sometimes you, it's a simple mindset like that that is required to be your best. Um, but you know, it, it, I was certainly um, passionate and could see start to sort of put it all together. The opportunity that I had in front of me, not for just football, but for my life as well. Um, and so that really excited me. And yeah, I, I certainly um, went went really hard at it. And you know, whenever I wasn't Doing my schoolwork, I was, um, you know, focusing on footy um, from the age of 16 onwards. Yeah, yeah. And we're coming up to draft night. Um, take yourself back to, to that period of your life. Um, we're probably, I think we're about two and a bit weeks away from it for the guys in Melbourne that will, will do the combine. Um, there's whispers they might have to do Strava 2K at the moment, um, which is <laughs> yeah, nice. a, little, a little bit different. But um, uh, Employee employ like, mate who's a good runner. What was that? That you should employ a mate of yours uh, or anybody's yeah. going to make this. Yeah, you can imagine the stuff that will be going on. Um, I yeah. can't imagine how you police that. But, mm. um, yeah, for, for the guys that are in that, in that mode at the moment, um, take yourself back to that time. How did you sort of approach it? And, uh, how much training were you doing? And what were you doing outside of your training as well to help you prepare for the combine? Yeah, Jack, my, my journey into the AFL was um, a little bit different to the guys that have gone through the um, – the draft um, in previous years and in a couple of weeks' time. Um, yep. I went to yeah, GWS as a concession pick and um, because the team hadn't started, they had to, or they were given um, these concessions to essentially build the uh, the team from scratch and, and part of that was picking up um, 12, 17-year-olds um, before, a year before their, um, their draft. And yep. so I was, I was lucky enough to um, be one of those uh, 17-year-olds and, I was if the day it happened for me, um, you know, Graham Gubby Allen was the uh, list manager and GM of the GWS at the time. Was attending a lot of um, school football matches and TAC Cup matches, but looking at the younger the younger kids, not the uh, the eighteen year old kids. And after oh, a school right. match against Haleybury, he just um yeah came up to my parents at three quarter time and said, um, "Tell your kid to pack his bags. He's coming to Sydney at the end of uh, right. at the end of the season." and that was that was my draft my draft experience. So, um, so were you playing ten A's? Was that what he was watching, or was he? Were you playing in the first? As a, as I was in the I was I was in the first. So I was um I was doing year twelve um uh, a year younger than what you usually would do year twelve. So I, I finished year twelve as a seventeen year old, not an eighteen year old. Yep. So it worked out really well. Um, I was able to go straight out of school, straight up to Sydney, and um and play in the um the state league competition there as a as eighteen year old instead of having to um stay in Melbourne, play uh, my top year of TAC Cup footy and then go into the draft the following year. So yeah, it was um it was a unique experience. So my yeah, my um journey into the AFL was a little bit 
um, under the radar and not as exciting and as theatrical as um, what the kids go through these days in the draft. Yeah, but in its own way, that's that's a, that's a cool story. So 12, 12 guys. Um, were you were you twelve or were the guys in that age group at under seventeen? Was were you aware that that was a a possibility that year, like that you could get drafted that year, or did it come to you as, as a surprise? Um, oh, because we were at the time, like most of us were part of the AOS um, AFL Academy from the age of yep. 16 and 17. So, like, we were aware of what had happened the previous year with um, the Old Coast Suns, and when they announced the license of um, Team GWS at the time, we, you know, you knew that you were falling into that category between January 1st and I think it was. May 30th of 17-year-olds that they were able to, to basically pinch a year before uh, the draft. And, yeah, certainly thought that that was a possibility. Um, and then, yeah, when it happened, I was still over the moon. I was, you know, incredibly excited. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool little story. Um, it's certainly a different one compared to what most guys go, to, go through these days. Absolutely. And then um, packing your bags, like you said, and, and getting ready and going to Sydney. Um, so you were able to finish a year 12. Um, how did you find that transition from finishing year 12 going straight into professional football? What was that transition like? Yeah, well, my last um, three months of school were, you know, it was challenging um, to to stay motivated to, you know, do the best I could in year 12 because I'd just been told I've been drafted and um, was going to be paid some pretty good money compared to my mates the following year. So yeah, I managed to get through year 12 and, you know, I had a crack. Um, but probably would have done better if I wasn't drafted. Um, would have been more motivated to do a bit better. But I, um, anyway, I yeah finished my last year twelve exam and the massive going away party that that night. And then two days later, I packed my bags and I moved up to the suburbs of Western Sydney. Um, and then basically from there, it was full time footballer up, up until today. And um, you know the transition into being a professional athlete, I really have. Like just loved that that lifestyle. Like uh, I was probably um, with my you know my mindset, my personality. I was I'm really um, suited to you know a really full on regimented program, um, even from a young age. So I've yeah I love every moment of training and you know a football program and and just everything that comes with being a professional athlete. Um, I've just yeah really enjoyed it. Um, and there's some things that you don't enjoy later on. You come to realise there's a lot of other things that go with it. But at that time, I just walk, walked into a new club and was just I just went from being a part-time footballer and a, and a student to a full-time footballer under Kevin Sheedy and Mark Williams. And um, I was just like, wow, this is like this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine what a what a great thing to go through. And um, like you said, that's not a bad not a bad place to be compared to your other mates stressing out about Year Twelve and you're. Sort of licking your lips, like uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, like they went to you know schoolies, and you know they you know did all that sort of stuff after school, and it I didn't honestly it didn't bother me. Like I was, um, really, I was living the dream. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, I was really really fortunate and really really lucky to to get picked up. And you, you mentioned you you like to have a simple approach to to high performance, and that's just being your best at every training session and every game. Um, but if, if you were talking to your, your younger self before that experience um, of getting drafted and, and you're now in the, in the system as a 17-year-old, what would you have wished you had in, in your pathway, in the different pathway systems um, that you were either taken off guard or surprised about? Was, is there any particular area that you felt like you weren't prepared for or did you feel that the transition was you were pretty ready to, to become a full-time footballer? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I actually find like the, the most – Impressive guys that come into football clubs these days are uh, the ones uh, that are like a you know just a complete blank blank canvas for the uh, coaches and the the football club to work with. Some you know I've I felt like at times um, being really driven and professional from a you know a pre AFL career days not is not I wouldn't say detrimental to the transition into AFL, but you know you can come in with some you know maybe some niggles you might have overtrained as a 16 17 year old you know it's under less professional guidance on how to manage your body and you know training methods um and maybe even the way you you sort of approach your game you know to be trying to get the footy as much as you can as a 17 18 year old might be detrimental to other parts of your game so 
you know, when you come into the AFL system, you go from being, you know, the best player in, in every team you played in for your life to, you know, you get knocked down the, uh, the order uh, at an AFL list. So you have to learn different ways to, to influence a game. Um, yep. So, you know, I look at guys at the moment that, at, at Essendon and like Nick Cox and Archie Perkins, um, they, they've come off 12 months of no football um, prior yeah, to joining true. the AFL. And they've come in and they've just been these guys that are just so open to change and open to new ideas under, you know, the coaches at Essendon. And they've had an incredible influence in their first season. And I just look at that and go, wow, like if I have my time again, I almost do less prior to joining the AFL. I'll still train hard and still be motivated, but don't need to be so concerned about, you know, having an incredibly strong bench press or, you know, having a really strong three rep max squat and, all these sorts of things, um, just come in injury-free and let them build you up. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting take. It, and, and it's something actually that we haven't talked about on this podcast about our guys that did experience that year and Archie Perkins and Nick Cox are two boys in that draft year and, and they've performed incredibly well as well as any guys in their first year. Um, and that, that's off no base, which is, which is an interesting concept of not playing footy the year before. So you feel like at times when, you, when you're, especially the talented guys in those – uh, whether you're getting picked in the top squads, AIS, and, and you're in that environment too early, you can be too conditioned and, to, and work too hard, whether it be physical but also the mental side, um, not, a, not a clean canvas like you mentioned, where if you go in a little bit more like an open book, um, it's easier to sort of adjust to the, to the system. Yeah, there's, there's an element of that that, you know, I think I could have done better, um, you know, because I came in, you see guys or, you know, when I was coming into the AFL, I came in with a, a history of, foot-related stress injuries and I had a navicular stress fracture from, you know, overtraining. Um, there were guys like Johnny Patton was the pick one in my draft year and he came in with patellar tendonitis issues and there's guys coming in with, you know, osteitis pubis and all these sort of problems from over overtraining and I just felt like, um, you know, when you come into the system, you sort of you get set back a bit and mm. compared to guys that have just Coming in, blank canvas, the, you get your strength and conditioning team, you get the coaches that have just got this raw body that's, um, you know, ready to be, to be built up from there and, you know, and, and done the right way um, compared to, you know, with the right intentions, parents and, you know, kids trying to get an advantage early on and hitting the gym and doing excessive amounts of load more than what their bodies can handle. Yeah, yeah. And do you think... It comes down to the parents and the and the athlete to manage and, and say no because I know when you're at that top level and you like you said you're at a private school you're in a tap cup you're playing stateside so you're getting pulled left right and centre from all these teams there's probably house sports at half time at lunchtime you know so the, and then there's gym in the mornings um, so how much is it, is it the environment that needs to change and how much do you think it is the athlete and maybe the parents or whoever's sort of the guardian of- yeah I'm, I'm sure it's a combination of everything really um i guess the, the parent has the ultimate say on on an underage um kid but um you know you know there's the sort of resources that i'm talking about like you know prepare like a pro and ball magnets and all these sorts of programs that are now available online so you know parents and kids um they can be really useful in you know un- increasing their understanding of of body management and looking after you know um yeah, their, their kids uh, energy levels and you know bodies um you know, I remember in my the year I did my navicular stress fracture, I played 35 games of football that season yeah. and went straight into um, summer athletics. And I just, you know, looking back at it now, I go, well, no, no wonder I broke down. And, yep. you know, consequently I missed the, you know, six to nine months of, of football. And a big part of that was not being able to play in the AOS Academy games overseas and, and I just think, well, you know, probably, you know, and there's a lot of other guys that are in a similar boat to me. They just, we just were just doing too much and we just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting point that you, that you raise. And I do think that, that they're, like you mentioned, there's some, there's some, pri- in the private sector, there's some businesses that are helping. And it sounds also like with what's happened with COVID, there's a few guys, certainly I've interviewed that were working in the AFL or elite sport that have now moved to the high school setting and are starting to put these programs in place and monitoring wellness G, you know gps and starting to look at um you know i guess being a sound like organizing the athletes whether they are working at all different places and just making sure there's communication uh so if you are training at metro one night 
under, you know, communicating that he had a session that morning and things like that. So there's a bit of a handover, which um, hopefully will help because uh, it's pretty hard for a 17-year-old to say no, isn't it, at that age when no, you want to get drafted. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, yeah, like just what you sort of said then, with those sort of that sort of technology available and, you know, that um, clarity of, you know, what you're doing with the training, um, you know, be very beneficial for, for kids these days and um, it's probably hard for them to resist, you know, doubling up, doubling up on training or, you know, playing two games of footy in a week. But, um, yeah, you take it from someone 10 years later, it's, you know, you think every game is the most important game in your life around that age and you just sort of I look back now and go, if you just take a step back and simplify things and, you know, do less. Do it right but do it do a little bit less to make sure that your body is um, not cooked then it'll set you up for a really good transition to take on, you know, more of what you want to do under the guidance of the pros. Yeah. There you go, guys. Developing footballers that are tuned in, get the notepad out, and uh, less less is more from the man, Dylan Chill. So that's a, a great message for, for young footballers. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to work hard, um, but more often than not, you're probably going to be in an environment where the work rate, if you're motivated and you know where you want to go, is going to come, isn't it? So it is being able to manage and make sure that you're accumulating weeks of work rather than having setbacks along the journey. Yeah. Well, it might be, and, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm not saying not working hard, but I'm saying, um, you know, you'd almost like they say you, you'd rather be a little bit underdone than overcooked. Um, yep. because once you go too far, then you know, you're overcooked and you set yourself back a long way. And there's just op- so many like things out there these days that people can do to gain an advantage with it, whatever they're doing that doesn't require such physical strain on yep. their body. You know, I've since moving to Melbourne, I've found you know, parts that I can or things that I can do away from the footy field that make me feel better and I'm not getting too much stress in the body. And that's, Things like I'm doing with Mark McGrath, with the skill and the skillful means program, like things like that, that increasing my performance without the strain on the body that people can do. And then obviously there's the mental mindset training that is just emerging before our eyes um, in the last few years that people are gaining incredible advantages on others. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark McGrath, I mean, he was on the podcast. I think he was episode two. For those that want to tune into his philosophy, he goes into detail probably one of our longest episodes actually about his DNS program. He loves yeah. to loves to talk about it. He's a very passionate guy. But the, uh, you mentioned oh, so knowledgeable. And very knowledgeable. You mentioned skillful means, was it? Yeah, skillful means. Yeah. Like um yeah, the company that Mark's um set up with Troy Simmons. Yep. Um it's a combination of what Mark does with the DNS and um, you know, Troy brings in his uh, you know, his movement movement training as well, which is um, you know, new to me but something i've really enjoyed exposure to along with you know guys like tom mitchell and dan hanbury awesome yeah nice crew there all right well let's yeah. have a quick drink break and then we'll be back after a, this is a short video about our academy hey guys cj here um i've been fortunate enough to work with jack for the last two years preparing for last year's nab afl draft combine and then this year's nab afl draft combine um he's been absolutely amazing helping me zone in on specific areas of what I wanted to work on, which is my endurance of the 2K time trial and um, the 20 meter sprint. Trying to crack that under three seconds has been a massive goal for me this year. And I feel like that the work that I put in with Jack, he's just helped me skyrocket um, for my personal goals, which has been absolutely amazing for me. But it's not only it's not only what he's done on field for me, it's what he's done off field for me. He's been able to help me be persistent with the lockdowns that we've had stay motivated, prepare for massive events, especially the combine this year, which was done over Strava, unfortunately, that we couldn't get out to the Holden Centre and compete um, against the other the other prospects. But also the massive one is just recovering. He's been able to give me a massive, massive influences on how to recover properly. Obviously, fueling for your next sessions massively for me as well. And the advice that he's given me so far has just been second to none. It's been really appreciative what he's done. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Jack. I feel like we've become a bit of a, we've made a bit of a friendship, which is always, it makes it easier when you're training, when you've got basically a mate that's telling you what to do. It makes it a whole lot easier than a, than a random coach that you've never really met before. So I feel like Jack's just helped me, helped me prepare for the combine as, as, as best as I could. And yeah, I can't appreciate the stuff that he's done for me. And yeah, he's made me really tick some boxes in, in my own my own goods and hopefully recruiters and are happy with my improvement. And yeah, it's a massive shout out and thanks to Jack. Okay, welcome back guys. If you have any questions for D 
Dylan, use the chat box. I know a couple of you have already sent through some questions. We'll do a Q&A in uh, five minutes' time. But we're now at the uh, Patreon section for the uh, podcast, mate. So this is a more of a get-to-know-you. Uh, it's a lighter side of the podcast, not as serious. Um, starting with, what is your favourite movie or TV series that has impacted you? Uh, well, my favourite movies, um, I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan. Um, so all of his movies I, I just love. But um, in terms of impact on me, um, I was, you know, I, I think of what I've watched recently, which were, I, I just watched the, the Michael Schumacher documentary on Netflix. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of re- things I've watched recently and found that really fascinating. I'm, I'm actually a, a bit of an F1 fan. And um, yep. you know, to get a bit of an insight into the competitiveness of, you know, Michael Schumacher, who's obviously, you know, along with Hamilton, one of the best of the best, it was you know, really interesting. And, you know, you sort of you keep watching, you know, things like that, The Last Dance about Michael Jordan and, you know, watch documentaries on Kobe Bryant and Roger Federer. You just get a, a you know, there's a, a common, a, you know, theme with these sort of guys around these unrelenting standards to, you know, never never give in and, and always sort of pushing through adversity. Um, so, yeah, like, um, yeah, the, the, like the Netflix doco Michael Schumacher is um, something that, is is just on at the moment. I think it's pretty pretty cool to watch. There's um, always breadcrumbs uh, laid out there for people that are you know obviously looking for you know motivation or you know like key messaging. I always find. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time for feel good shows at the moment. Bit of inspiration. Yeah, a little bit of that. Um, on that note, favorite inspirational quote or life motto. Um, uh, one one that I'm I'm implementing implementing at the moment, um, and it's around that. You know, sort of stripping back things and having a bit more simplicity in my life. Um, kind of pulling it from the Bruce Lee um, mentality. But if it's if things aren't a definite yes, then it's a definite no. And it just um, it's just about you know me prioritizing you know, things in my life and being a bit more efficient and effective with um, you know my behaviors um, you know every day and just trying to make uh, every day count um, you know towards you know my goal in line with my my purpose. So. If it's not a definite yes, it's a definite no. Yeah, like it. Nice. And in your work life, so in, in terms of regards to footy, what are your pet peeves? What, what fires you up, makes you angry? What makes me angry in my workplace? Yeah, so, so it could be a, from a training standards point of view or on game day, what's, a, what's something that gets you pissed off, I guess, with a teammate? Um, oh, no, there's, I'm, pretty, I'm actually, yeah, pretty, I'm getting better at the moment, like Probably in the last couple of years, I've settled down and I'm able to contain myself a little bit more, or just be a little bit more accepting and understanding of guys around me. And you know, things um, aren't to the level I'd like, then I'm I'm just able to just park that to the side and can continue going about what I'm doing. Yeah. But um, there's uh, you know, there's there's one thing in uh, the Giants that I used to hate, and that was the idea that having your hands on your knees was a sign of weakness during. A training session or a big running effort and it it used to just annoy the shit out of me when you know you'd be doing these effort runs and you get to the end of a, a big effort and you you absolutely gassed because that's what the bloody drills designed to, to do and your the instinctual reactions to go hands to knees and it's Research, you know, you ask, that's the most efficient way to get yeah yeah <laughs> i mean yeah like you listen to you know the dialogue you'd have with like Mark McGrath and maybe the best people in the world to explain why something like that is actually really beneficial for you to to recover and breathe, allowing your diaphragm to expand and having a you know a straight spine uh, during that time versus having your hands on your head and you know tilting your your, your diaphragm in your chest. Um, so something like just something little like that used to piss me off a bit. Yeah, it made, I was like, I'm trying to optimize recovery here. It's not a sign of weakness. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. people always say. <laughs> Robert Harvey was one of the greatest ever and he used to do it all the time. Yeah. I think there's there's photos of yeah, all the legends doing it. Your Kobe's, your Michael Jordan's. Yeah. Um there's a, there's a fair bit of body intelligence, isn't there, going on that sometimes we're yeah. not aware of. But I'm pretty sure someone's done a research on it and it is the most efficient breathing pattern for yeah, like you said, for um using your diaphragm and opening up your lungs and um yeah, there you go. That's a, that's yeah. a I like it. Uh, I guess if you still, the coaches hate when their head's down, isn't it? Because then you're out of the game. So as long as your eyes are up, you can argue you're still tactically in the game and you're recovering. Yeah, off. I know. I know what you're saying. I, I just think if you can recover 
more effectively, then you're going to be more effective when you get out and back in, on, on the game or on the ground to give effort. So, yeah, I, you know, that's just, that was one little thing. There's a lot, you know, you're in a game of playing a game of imperfections and, and mistakes. There's, you know, countless of things that um, are going to upset people and get on their nerves, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, these two are a COVID-free world, if we can imagine that, after the last year and a half, but um, we'll do it here. We'll dream a bit. What's your favourite way to spend your day off in a COVID-free world? It usually starts with, you know, having a really good sleep and then um, having, a, having a coffee in the morning. Um, and if it's, yeah, like I, I just enjoy, you know, getting out in great weather and, um, you know, spending time with my girlfriend, Georgie, and, um, you know, usually being somewhere close to the beach um, is always a good way to spend the day. Um, since I got down to Melbourne, I, um, I've actually, like, really got addicted to golf and yep. uh, that's, that's certainly been put on put on hold since covid's um re-emerged so yeah I'd, I'd squeeze in a couple of rounds of golf um on, on, a, on one day as well so yeah that'd be nice yeah yep. and uh favorite holiday destination and why uh, favorite, uh well, i'd say within australia um i love love going to noosa and i've had some really good good holidays up there and i've actually had some pretty cool um training camps there with the giants it's just a great great place great weather um and then overseas um you know, i really enjoyed uh going to hawaii a couple of years ago i had a really good time there with my with my girlfriend yeah going back to your your career so you like you mentioned you were picked up at, a, at the uh, ripe old age of 17 and you had to grow up quick living in sydney and you're playing at gws giants what was your transition like um from you know, like you said, play it while while the team wasn't in the AFL yet, but playing in the reserves and and developing, I guess, team chemistry with with those other twelve guys who are in the same boat. Um, what was the transition like from then playing AFL footy? Oh, that year was um, yeah, probably one of the most enjoyable years of footy I've ever been a part of. Um, it just had such a great time, just developing and being under you know playing with guys that you're becoming really close mates with, and you know playing in a league where it was their first sort of open senior football league I'd experienced. So just testing yourselves against, um, you know, matured men and, you know, having some, you know, some pretty good good moments in your development that gave you real confidence to to transition into the AFL. Um, so I really enjoyed, enjoyed that year and getting to sort of live away from home for the first time and, you know, be a real independent human being. Um, and then, you know, entering the AFL year, that's when we had the influx of, the guys coming through the AFL draft. So we had, um, you know, the John Patton, Steve Canelio, Dom Tyson draft where they went one, two, three and had guys like Tom Scully, who's a, you know, one of my closest mates, Callum Ward, Phil Davis, Reese Palmer, all um, get picked up by the Giants or picked up or poached from their, from their clubs at the time. And, you know, it was just, looking back at it now, I was incredibly um, anxious as well at the same time because you're trying to figure out if you're going to be able to, become an AFL player and you know hold your spot in the team and um you so you, and trying to sort of figure how you sort of sit with yourself as a as a growing man in a in a pretty ruthless industry and you know I look back at it now and you know I, I wish I just enjoyed it more for what it, what it was and I wasn't so stressed about trying to compare myself and being worried about being you know the absolute best version of myself all the time um mm. I would have had a little if I had my time again I would have been able to have a bit more acceptance and just sort of enjoy the moment a little bit more and um, understand that mistakes will get made and nothing's going to be perfect. Yeah, and like I can imagine that's another one that is so hard for an athlete that's driven to be their best to, to get that balance right and recognise when they're, you know, being overcritical on themselves and it's not constructive to, to playing your best footy and, enjoy, like you said, enjoying it. Um, what sort of mental skills have you done over time to help develop that awareness and, I guess, maturity in, in the mental space? Yeah, well, like, I haven't really um, – I wasn't aware of what mental training was or mindset training was probably until my second last year at GWS. So that was, yeah, about six, six years into my career. Up until then it was – um, you know, you're at, the, you're at the mercy of those that are in charge at times and, you know, as grateful and as beneficial as they were for my football at times, um, that approach of, you know, trying to be, you know, perfectionism was really driven into our players and, mm. you know, you look, 
it's just an unattainable thing to to achieve in such an imperfect game. So probably fueled my anxiety and a lot of guys were really stressed about, you know, performing at their best in in a high performance industry. And then, you know, I, I was the club got in a performance psychologist, um, Sean Richardson, who has done a, a ton of work in the AFL, um, mostly linked with Ross Lyon at St Kilda and Fremantle. Yep. And he was my first experience of or exposure to um, you know, performance psychology and, you know, unlocking yourself to to play to the best of your ability. And the club then also got a meditation coach and we started um, you know, exposing our, our players to that at the time. And then since I've transitioned to to Essendon, um, probably the biggest thing I noticed when I got to um, the Bombers was the like importance that they place in their footy program on mindfulness and these these mental these mental training programs and skills. And yeah, it's you know just really just trying to simplify um, you know the game and yourself and optimize those two hours per week that you need to be your absolute best. Um, you know, because you can be carrying a lot of things in your day-to-day life and if you're taking those sort of things into a game that can be disrupting your performance, it's going to be pretty And also I found that, um, you know, probably the, the best thing I've taken from, you know, these sort of things is just being able to free yourself up and mm-hmm. going into uh, that two hours um, completely blank and free and that's generally when guys play their, their best footy or any athlete plays at their best is when they're free and they're not thinking and they're just executing. Yeah. And early days when you're first exposed to, like you mentioned, the, the mindfulness training, um, did you find it overwhelming? Like you, like you said, you hadn't been exposed to it in junior days and, and for the first six years. Was it quite hard to transfer it into your normal routine or did, or did it just resonate with you straight away? Had, had, for someone who hasn't done it that's listening and is interested, obviously hearing it from yourself that it was effective, um, yeah. how did you come to integrating it in, and to make it work for yourself? Yeah, well, my first, like, um opinion on yeah like a psychologist at the football club was like you know you're only going there if you've got mental health problems or you're mentally weak yeah and it, you know like we know that that's wrong but you, everyone kind of thought that at the time and you know like the mentally tough players just get on with it and mm-hmm. suppress and compartmentalize their issues in order to perform and we know now that that's you know that really detrimental um to your mental health and so when it, and so when the Giants introduced, you know, I was having a sports psychologist come and a mindfulness coach. Um, I was I was really stressed and I was really anxious. I was you know I was loving football and at the same time and was so passionate about what we were doing, but at the same time it, it was just when when things were tough it was you know it was really really um, a stressful environment to be in and you'd take it home and things are really really you know on your mind all the time. Mm-hmm. So I was really ready <laughs> when they we started meditating and doing mindfulness, and we started talking about you know um, you know performance psychology and what that looked for each individual and as a team. I was along with you know the the group at the time. I think were really open to it to yep. finding an avenue to um, you know rectify what was probably holding us back at the time. And then since being at Essendon, um, you know David David Reed is the head of the um you know mental skills program there and you know i really enjoy the program that he's got going at essendon at the moment and some and and that playing group as well as is super open to you know that that part of the game and that part of performance so i couldn't um advise any more to younger kids to to be really open to it and to understand that um you know it's a stressful environment it's a stressful world and um you know if you can get onto it early and you know, you might save yourself um, some issues later down the track. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, mate, for sharing. That's uh, it's something, no doubt. I think a lot of people tuning in, whether you're an athlete or not, would resonate with that. Um, at a subconscious level, you do have that perception, but reality is, it, it's just like training in the gym. It's, you, you might need, you want a strength coach, or if Federer has got a skills coach or a tactical coach, uh, you know, he's working on his game. It's just the same as working on your mental space. It's there's professionals and experts that are there to give you these tools uh, to manage, like you said, that you know, life's tough uh, and, and performing at a, and in the high-performance environment is even uh, more challenging. So to be able to have these tools to prepare yourself and uh, help your football but also by the sounds of it, just enjoy life a lot more as well and home life. Yeah, yeah no, no doubt. And there's, there's so many things and 
resources available to, to people these days to, to find what works for them. And, you know, I've experimented a fair bit and, um, you know, I say how stressful I was early on and I'm still stressed today, but, you know, stress isn't always a bad thing. Like there is good stress out there and um, it's just having a healthy balance with it and, you know, finding times where, you know, you need to be able to let go of accept, you know, what's happening and the day and be able to come home and, and relax and enjoy your days off, um, enjoy, you know, time with family and friends. But, um, you know, it's it's still, you know, I anticipate the rest of my career is I'm still going to have really stressful moments and, and times of, you know, mental strain. So um, it's just having the tools available to combat that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the nature of wanting to get better all the time, isn't it? Like you, yeah. you can easily sit by a tree and just relax and that's going to be pretty stress-free or, or you can pursue the high-performance game, whatever that is in life, for, you know, whether you're an athlete or an athlete in life that wants to perform and be the best leader in the business or whatever it might be that you're doing. If you're pushing the boundaries and developing yourself, there's going to be an element of a learning curve and, and stress comes with that. And like you said, it. It's sort of how you, you manage it, isn't it? That there's a difference between if it's sustainable or not for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want you want something, it usually comes at a cost. So just make sure you don't get too far into debt. Yeah, yeah, love it. Nice analogy. Um, and then the shift from GWS to Essendon, um, was it something that you were looking at for a couple of years or did it come pretty quickly? Uh, take us through that transition in your life and how hard was it for them i mean being there would have been your second home i imagine um getting yeah. that team to and then making that change how did you how did you go with that yeah i mean well you know it probably starts with you know growing up as a melbourne boy in melbourne um wanting to to play afl i grew up as a carlton supporter and you know just dreamt of playing for you know a melbourne football team um and you know the existence of gws during my childhood and, you know, teens to mid-teens wasn't in existence. Um, so, you know, the when that came up, it was pretty quick, you know, from, you know, going to be remaining in Melbourne to find, find myself in Western Sydney. Um, and, you know, Sydney did become a second home for me. It was somewhere where I, you know, grew up, become a, an adult, found my independence and, you know, met my girlfriend there and we really had a in, really nice life. Um, in Sydney and, you know, had a, such a great experience and, you know, connection to the football club. Even still today, I, you know, associate myself with, with GWS. Um, you know, I'm just not there at the moment, but it was certainly, it's a big, big part of my life that I'm really grateful for. Yep. Um, you know, certainly during that time, I did have an idea that I'd love to come back and um, play, you know, you know, somewhat in my second half of my career um, back in Melbourne and to, experience you know football for what it is in melbourne with a big melbourne club um you know and I, you know looking back i'm really grateful that i'm able to to do that like i've experienced football at a startup club with no no fan base to begin with and you know in an in a society in western sydney where football was just so foreign to them and it's it's actually you know i say foreign early days but today it's certainly been established yeah. and then to be able to ex- experience football at a football club that's you know about to have their 150th anniversary and has played in premierships and has 80 plus thousand members and plays in those big games um yeah i'm really lucky to to be experiencing it so the decision to come back was was stressful um but um you know it's something that i'd wanted to do for a long time that's for sure yeah yeah you wanted to come home and and the Essendon Football Club, like you mentioned, it is a massive club. Um, what are some of the perks that you've noticed if you compare, like you said, being part of a beginning of a new club? Uh, GWS have done it really successfully, but what would be some of the challenges that maybe Gold Coast Suns are going through, I guess, like de- de- developing a club compared to like a traditional club like Essendon? Do you, as a player, is the is the tradition and the 150-year, like you mentioned, um, does that add an element of not motivation but when there's big games like Anzac Day and things like that, do you find that helps your performance being in that environment? Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all about the story you tell yourself and you know how you perceive things. And you know, we probably when I walked into Essendon, um, their rich history and the success that the club had had was probably seen as a bit of a burden on the current group. Um, and you know, it's probably held the held the playing group back for a number of years. Um, but you know. We've had a bit of a shift in mindset under Ben Rutten around embracing 
the club's achieved in the past and really, um, you know, sort of leveraging off that connection with um, our past plays and, and what the football club's done with the sash. So um, nothing's changed in history. It's just the way that, we're, the way that we perceive it now. Um, yep. And so, you know, in terms of what, what the perks are at Essendon over a startup club that I experienced at the Giants, it's, you know, it's still the same game of footy, st- still trying to achieve the same thing. Um, but it's, it's so in terms of having no history at the Giants versus, um, you know, an abundance of history at Essendon, it's, um, there's advantages for both. Um, so I haven't walked into Essendon going, wow, we we're missing out on so much at um, the Giants. It's like, just around what's what's the current situation, how do you perceive it to your advantage? Um, at the Giants, I'm part of the infant years of the footy club um, and played in the first game um, in a club at the time that had no history and, and now I'm at a club that's I'm going to be part of the 150th anniversary and I get to look back and look at the history books of, you know, the, the Essendon Footy Club. So there's I've just been really lucky to experience, you know, both sides of the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll go to the uh, fans that have tuned in and, and sent through a couple of questions. We'll fire a, a couple at you, mate. Um, first one from Troy Jones. Do you do anything or work with anyone, particularly in the off-season, away from the club to work on your individual strength and weaknesses? Strengths and weaknesses. Um, yeah, I've, I've sort of gone into a bit of a habit when I was um, in my first, at my first club um, of training on my own because most guys that it interstate club usually move away or go back to their home states and usually either training on their own or with you know mates or lucky you know maybe a teammate if they're there in the same city so i actually enjoy just doing a lot of my training on my own and getting fit and strong having a bit of time to myself i'm a highly motivated guy and i can get away with doing a lot of things on my own but certainly like when it comes to you know the football side of things um you can't be doing everything on your own and um you know just sort of link up with Teammates are available to me, um, which I found is pretty easy at the moment because none of the Essendon boys are able to get out of Victoria. So we're always at the footy club working on on things um, in our spare time. Yeah. And then is there anything you do the day before a game um, that you feel really benefits you? Um, I was pretty, had a, you know, pretty structured routine early on and, you know, felt I had had to nail that for me to, you know, set myself up for a really good game. But, you know, it's amazing what, how things can change in two years with you know COVID and hubs and you know having to fly in fly out for games and you know I've just sort of had to accept that you know I don't need everything to be perfect or have to nail the same thing every time for a game to to play a good game. Yep. Um, so I've been really flexible. Um, it's probably you know it sounds pretty lame, but probably the most you know important thing I've tried to get done is just have a good night's sleep. Um, the night before a game or at least two nights before a game just sleeps we know sleep's the most important thing for performance for cognition and for alertness and you know if I can get a good night's sleep then you know that's you know 80% of the job done and then you work on your nutrition and you know your energy um, intake pre-game but yeah like I'm pretty pretty relaxed these days uh, nothing yeah I'd love to be able to give an example of I do you know wheat picks every day or I listen to this one song or I walk yeah. or do this Thing, but I, the truth is, no, I don't. Not anymore. That's for sure. Yeah. And when, how did you make that transition? Was it something that a coach recommended, or a player, or, or did you just come up come to yourself that you didn't need as much structure? You wanted to try a bit more flexibility. Yeah, probably just yeah. Probably comes back to like that that anxiety and that that stress that you probably just didn't need to to add on to to yourself. Like you know, if I didn't nail, if I didn't have you know, a few years ago, if I didn't sleep well or if I didn't do my morning walk or if I didn't get sushi, chicken avocado sushi for lunch at the hotel I was at, it would just, it'd be an unnecessary stress for me to overcome before a game. And, you know, I just had a moment where I was like, you know, I just don't need to be worried about one percenters like this. I can, you know, seeing so many guys around the competition that do things differently you know, it means that there's other ways to get things done and no one thing is the reason for a good game of footy. And, you know, that obviously, you know, along with working with mindfulness coaches and, you know, working on mental, my mental skills, it um, just started to focus on the big rocks in, in my life around sleep and hydration and nutrition and, you know, getting the body warm before a game was, you know, going to set me up for a good game and I didn't need to worry about 
the little things that you know just were going to add these stupid stresses onto me. Yeah, right. There you go. It's a simple one, and the back you've mentioned the simplistic approach, how important it is, but also doing the basics, like you said, nutrition, sleep, and, and hydration, which is all three things that people can do. You don't need any fancy equipment for that. Well, yeah, and you know, probably as you get older, you're learning more every day. And you know, I'm an avid reader and researcher on high performance, and I just yeah started coming across against you know a lot of um, a lot of research out there around sleep deprivation, what it can do to you, hydration, and all these sorts of things. And just I just started to increase my knowledge around what was really important and and what wasn't. And like, let's just keep this simple. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Plan after footy. That's Troy's third question. He's he's asked through, what is your plan for life after footy? Have you thought that, that far down? Yeah, track? I mean, yeah, it's still a little a little while away. Um, you know, I love to play football as I can, but um, you know, at the moment, I, I could see something happening, you know, overseas for me for around twelve, you know, twelve months or so after football. I, I'm doing a commerce finance degree at the moment, and I'll have that done pretty shortly. And you know, I've got an idea in my mind where. I wouldn't mind doing some overseas study, um, potentially in Europe, and maybe just packing up for for twelve months and taking, um, you know, Georgie and any future future kids over there for twelve months, and yeah, experiencing life out of Australia, and then come back and resume life in whatever career that is. It's probably going to be in some form of finance, but um, yeah, we'll yep. wait and see. Yep. Uh, this one's from Lucas. If you have a poor game or a narrow loss, how do you boost personal and team confidence to get up for the next week? Good question. Yeah, that's a it's a great question, um, and that's probably like you know the answers in itself. There is you know next week comes around pretty quickly, so you sort of you're forced to to move on and, and address a bad game pretty quickly. Um, so I mean, you play a game a bad game, and the first thing is you know sort of acknowledging and accepting it and trying to find, you know, where the team went wrong or where the individual went wrong. And, you know, so you go through the game review and address that and accept it, um, accept that you're human and it's an imperfect game, but don't wash over where you can improve. And then you just go about it, you train it that week and you get ready for the next game because you haven't got that much time. And if you're going into the next game, you know, thinking, carrying things from last week, you're just going to set yourself up for another bad game. So um, my experience in football around the best play- players I played with and against, and you know, as a as a team, is um, the quicker you know, sort of free yourself up and let go of the bad games. Um, you know, the better off you're going to be for the next one. Yeah, and that'd be for mo- that'd be for most things in life. That's for sure. Certainly in sport. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And then last yeah, good one. question. Yeah. Hey, Dale. What a spe- what specific training do you do for your explosiveness? Um, yeah, if you want to run fast, then run fast. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's just, yeah, it sounds simple. Um, I, you know, it was Lockie Wilmot and John Quinn used to tell me this all the time. I didn't really quite understand what it meant, but, um, and Jack, you're going to be able to share, shed more light on this than me. But yeah, you know, in the weights, in the gym, I, you know, do a lot of high, you know, high explosive movements, um, you know, powerful movements. Um, if I'm doing strength, a strength lift, um, you know, it's usually supplemented with some sort of explosive movement um, um, in between sets. Um, but probably the biggest thing that's helped me in recent years is um, not trying to just tra- train, um, you know, the energy system or the, the, the muscle, but also to train the efficiency of your movement. And that's where we sort of go back to my, what I've been doing with Mark McGrath around you know, increasing efficiency of my body rather than trying to increase, you know, my strength, my speed, my aerobic capacity. If I can, you know, put it in, in a car perspective, um, you don't always need to increase the the engine to have a, a faster car. You can, you know, remove the trailer hanging off the back of it if, if that's what's holding it back. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's an in-depth answer and it's a hard, it's not a simple one, but powerful movements lead to, yeah, more powerful movements. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's... It's as simple as it is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it, that, it's a good segue. We'd, we'd have, I think, strength and conditioning coaches seem to be the most popular people that listen into the podcast. Footballers that watch live, and then S and Cs, and you're famous in the S and C world for your razor curl. Uh, how yeah. long did it take for you to get to that uh, where you were, everyone's seen the video? Uh, no doubt, those listening in. How long did it take to get to the razor curl, your hamstrings, 
to be able to do it to that level. Yeah, I mean, I've answered this question a bit and, you know, I think a lot of people that aren't in the SNC industry want to just, they want to hear that I was born with that sort of strength and it's just a talent that I've carried in my life and I could just do it straight away. But we know that it's a that's not the case in most things in, in life and, you know, we I had to build up, you know, three or four years of, you know, conditioning and strength work in the gym to get to that razor curl exercise and you know Lockie Wilmot um was the SNC coach at the time at the Giants um and was we'd been doing a lot of hamstring eccentric loading and things like that for the years leading into that that one exercise so you know it took me yeah three to four years before I had the ability to do that um so when I when that happened people saw that moment but you know ask ask yourself ask anyone out there like it took took years to to develop my body and develop the ability to be able to you know, do something like that. So there's the amount of people that have tried to go out and do it straight away <laughs> of no work or minimal work, they usually find that they they can hurt themselves pretty easily. Yeah, have a sore broken broken nose almost. Yeah, well, yeah, people people think I'm saying hamstrings, but it's always the face. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the yeah, so the, the so the hamstring loading was a big emphasis. For, from yeah. the, on, on another side, for, for SNCs, being a professional athlete, you've had a few strength conditioning coaches in, in your time. What what do you like from SNCs uh, to support your game? And then and on the other side of it, what do you dislike? What what can be something that sort of feels like it it's hindrance to your game from a strength conditioning point of view? Yeah, good question. Um, I've been really lucky, like really lucky with the SNC coaches I've had throughout my career. Um, from and they've all played different parts, all played different roles in, in my, certainly my journey. You know, from like Lockie, Lockie Wilmot, who has got this crop of, you know, 17, 18 year old kids and, you know, really had to take a slow and develop a really good base in the gym. Um, so we weren't doing razor curls from day one. He was doing the most basic movements and strength training, you know, for the first season or two. And then we gradually built up to, you know, achieving, you know, you know, more explosive, more extreme movements. But, um, you know, the technique and emphasis, the emphasis on the technique and doing it right was yep. so important with Lockie. And then, um, obviously, I got myself to a really, um, you know, really good level from an S&C perspective. Um, and it worked in really well because I got Alex Natira, who came in after Lockie at the Giants. And he is come from a sprinter's background and, you know, played, um, you know, rugby at the highest at one of the highest levels and he had this approach of no one athlete is the same and mm-hmm. so no program should be the same for for the athlete so you know he really was good at sharpening the sword and around guys strengths and what they needed so for at the time i think of um you know myself versus a callan ward um you know i'm a very powerful uh, athlete you know fast retriever almost like a, a sprinter in terms of what an afl athlete gets versus Callum Water was, you know, a more slow twitch fiber guy, more of a, you know, real um, resilient, um, slower athlete. I'm trying not to pot him here, but he used to get into him every all the time. And what we'd find is that I would do far less training in the gym compared to Callum because, you know, if I did too much training, it would really blunt the effect yeah. and, my, and burn, my, burn me out. My, my sharpness wouldn't be there. Versus Callan, who'd be able to do a lot more slower, strenuous lifting because he needed it. Yep. Um, and it re- that really made, you know, had a really good effect on that program under Alex around, you know, sharpening your sword. And you, you, nev- you always need to be doing what's right for you. And it's not one program fits, fits all. So that, yeah, that was, that was, you know, to answer the question, it's, um, yeah, really find out what type of athlete you are and what you're trying to train and, and then, train it um and like not and to be really cautious about not overdoing it yeah that individualized approach like you said all athletes are different yeah that's it yeah yeah awesome well thanks mate uh thanks so much for for your time and uh and sharing us and and, and your open and honesty mate i really appreciate talking about the highs and, and lows of, of high performance and uh and how you got to where you are today and and playing at the highest level so no doubt they're developing footballs that have tuned in but also the strength and conditioning coaches as well have, have taken a fair few gems from it, mate. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time. No, nah, mate, really appreciate you having me. You could feel like I could talk hours on, you know, this sort of 
forum. So I really, really appreciate having me. And yeah, I mean, you know, I love the SNC aspect of footy and, you know, I've just been really lucky to be surrounded by some, you know, really impressive people in that industry. And essentially, I'm just regurgitating their knowledge. So hopefully if uh, those, those guys, them, they t- if, yeah. they, if they're listening in, I, hopefully I just uh, did them justice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely have. Um, and what, what are you excited about for 2021, mate? What's on for the what's on the horizon for the rest of the year for you? Uh, mate, 20, so 2021, did you say? Yeah, rest, yeah. Just yeah. Uh, at the moment, mate, it's, yeah, it's just sort of, bit of a reset and sort of unwinding a bit obviously keeping you know because we're just what we three three or four weeks after our last game so just mental refresher mate and get back into into training and um spend some time you know if i can get away out of melbourne when we can that'd be great um otherwise um i'm looking forward to getting back training with the guys um for pre-season and you know building our campaign for a big big one next year absolutely yeah there's a lot of excitement in the way Essendon's playing footy at the moment and it seems like there's a lot of momentum in the club and uh it's you know, must you know talking about this year it must have been uh a you know successful year in review i imagine for for the group oh, i mean yeah we so many positives to take out of our season but again there's so many things that we need to get better at so yeah most it was mostly um you know perceived as a really as a good good year for us we took some you know some steps forward which is you know great it's a sign of a of a good club and um yeah, but at the same time, we understand we've got a ton of work ahead of us for us to compete against the um those top teams. And you know, you know, if we can, you know, if we can get there um and do the work, then yeah, we, we'll. You know, I believe we'll set ourselves up for a really good crack at it next year. And yeah, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, and that Essendon fans, you mentioned off air that you've had a surgery for a year, so the body's feeling good, mate. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I had a really rough year with the body, so it's nice to be able to sort of have have a bit of time feeling good i mean yeah did my hammy did my hammy this time last year and really disrupted my off season yep. um then i did did my yeah, meniscus did the um medial meniscus tear round two and missed 16 weeks and then when i came back i was just not not up to it physically my niggles and that were shocking and it was probably a bit of a liability for for the boys out there at times so i'm looking forward to um yeah, getting back to being as fit as I can be and being out to, you know, to move really well for next year. So hopefully I can stay out in the park, mate, and get some consistency in the training and not overdo it. Yeah, awesome, mate. We'll be watching. Uh, looking forward to breaking those lines, that explosive power, like you said, and uh, yeah. breakaway speed. Nah, thanks, mate. Awesome. Cheers, Dylan. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Great episode, guys. For those that tuned in a little bit later on, make sure you watch the full episode. It's on our YouTube channel and we'll launch an our podcast recording on Spotify and iTunes very soon. Um, shout out to Troy Jones and uh, Lucas O'Day. Your questions were awesome, mate, and uh, well thought of and uh, good to see you guys thinking and taking some questions to help your game as well. So good work, guys. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And our next guest will be launched on Sunday at 6pm I'll be live streaming so thanks for tuning in till next time if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you the prepare like a pro academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level here's an example with Emily Meehan head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club what are things that, that fire you up Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, like yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. 
Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was, uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm -hmm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.